Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, and thanks for engaging today. I call our team Innovation Brokers because we seek to bring you the best discipleship practices and principles from across the nation. Today, I've got Dr. Josh Smith with me, and Josh is the pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Georgia. He's author of Preaching for a Verdict, co-author of Psalm 150 volume in Christ Exposition series, and, and we're going to talk about another book that he's written as well called The Titus 10. And here's a fun fact about Josh. He's ministered in more than 30 countries, uh, worked with international students at Duke University. He served as a missionary in Central Europe, but he's also got four daughters and wrote a book for men. So we may may figure out how, what, what was going on with that, but also has a son that tagged along at the end and has a deep love for Elvis. For all of you Elvis fans, you can give a shout out in the chats. Now, I want you to make sure that you listen until the end, because I'm going to share with you what I believe is one of the most important, if not the most important acronym of 2023 in regards to men and men involved in ministry and leaving a legacy. Now, um, I want to remind you, our listeners, that we have some free resources to give away, so make sure that you leave a comment below and get entered into that drawing. And uh, and if you'll share today's link with your page or your groups, you'll also get double entry into a drawing for potentially a free meal with our discipleship team at the Georgia Baptist Evangelism Conference in March. So, Josh, welcome, bro. Glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much. This is so fun for me today. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Now, uh, you tell a story at the introduction of the book about being in church where the older generation's dying off and there's no adequate plan to replace them. And so help us understand this is the current situation with men, with leading in the church, and why Titus, the book of Titus in scripture, was such an important uh, biblical figure, but also a central part to this new book called the Titus 10 that you wrote. Sure. You know, I, I really wrote this book. It took me about 15 years to write this book. I started in 2008 uh, taking men through the book of Titus, and the context was what you said. I, I was able to become a pastor where we still had charter members. My first church, the only other church I've ever pastored apart from Prince, uh, MacArthur Boulevard Baptist Church in uh, the Dallas, Texas area. And uh, I had all these charter members. They were great. These were faithful men. They would tell stories of going door to door to sell bonds to build the first building, wow. uh, paying the pastor out of their pocket because there wasn't enough money in the offering at the end of a Sunday. And I just remember thinking, I, where are these guys now? Like, where are guys like this? And they were dying. I was doing their funerals and I was looking behind them thinking, we got a problem here. I don't have other guys like this. And I don't keep up with statistics much. That's really not, it doesn't interest me too much, but I've seen recently the statistics coming out of how old Southern Baptists tend to be. Uh, yeah. that the majority of our Southern Baptists are older. So this is not just a problem in my church. We're seeing this problem and it's a problem primarily for men. So out of a desire to figure out how to raise up a new generation of men, I prayed through it for about a year and picked the book of Titus for lots of reasons. Uh, I, I, I love the relationship between Paul and Titus. We can talk more about that. I, I spent a lot of time and I map it out in the book 
there's only 13 references to Titus and you've got to really work to figure out their relationship, but it's a really neat one. Titus himself was a really faithful, courageous man. And then just the book. um, I mean, Paul leaves Titus in this dysfunctional town of Crete and says, there's a church there, fix it. And the first thing he says is find men and put them in leadership. Hmm. So the first solution to the dysfunction was not even the home, but fixing the church. And the first way to fix the church is to get the wrong men out. That's all in chapter one of Titus and get the right men in. So it's just a great book for men. Oh, my goodness. Well, and the other idea that, that really occurred to me as I was reading the book was that, you know, the, that men need a foundation in the word. So right. we're, we're connecting them in the church and they're leading in the church, but that foundation in the word. And my gosh, I was thinking about just what that means today. Like, here's an example. Like, Josh, if, if 1950, if I had written a book that says it's okay to be a homosexual, well, the book would have been banned as immoral and inappropriate, right? But today, if I were to write the same book that said, but it says homosexuality is not okay, it'd be banned because it's right. inappropriate and it's hate speech. Right. So these shifting winds that are around us that our men are having to learn to lead in, mm-hmm. so important that they have this grounding in the words. So that's one of the reasons I was so grateful that this book is grounded in Titus and Paul's relationship with Timothy. So, so let's bounce to this idea. Um, just something my, my, like my mind is pinging all over as I think about men's ministry in this book, because for decades, we've talked about men's ministry, success in numbers at a fish fry and a wild game banquet, and then helping for an hour and a half at men's breakfast on Sunday morning. And we called it success because we had 12 men who showed up and they led at these things. And we're seeing that today that maybe that perspective is flawed because it's not producing disciples. It's not impacting families and cultures. So help me how can churches assist their men's ministry and know it's healthy or work? Like, like when you think about Prince Avenue and, and right. help our leaders think right sure. now about um, in terms of Titus and Paul with, with, um, with Titus here about how can they know that it's healthy and it's working in their church context? Sure. Uh, one of the things we're working on just as a staff team right now is um, kind of some kind of concentric circles in a sense. But our desire, the word for me in men's ministry, and I think this is true of everyone, but I'm just, I'm talking to men and about men, is movement. You've got to keep men moving. So mm-hmm. I think the big game dinners are fine. I think men's breakfast is fine. I think those things are good. Um, but you have to see them as almost the furthest out outer circle. Mm, uh, it's good. the crowd when you're reading the gospels. Jesus had a lot of the crowd. You see this really significant in the book of Mark and uh, you just see Jesus had a crowd. Well, that's great. So praise the Lord that you can get a hundred guys to a big game dinner. Like, that's awesome. But you've got to see that is, is like the furthest out step and a win in as much as you're going to find a way to get them to the next step. And so this is where I think we failed a little bit, maybe in men's ministry, we've had a big event and we've celebrated it. Praise God for that. I'm not cynical towards that. I think it's great, but there's been no movement. So I, we have a men's breakfast once a month. Uh, we have about 250 guys that show up for that. We don't promote it. We don't advertise it. A lot of guys from other churches because no one's really doing anything. And we think that's great. I'm going through the life of Elijah right now once a month, but it's not a win. It's great that they're there. The win is, can I get them from there into smaller environments, mm. ultimately in intimacy with Jesus? So that's the key. The key is view every event as the process of moving men closer. Moving men. Next steps. Gosh, that's good. 
Now you list in the book, some different themes of Paul's instruction to Titus, you know, the church, the home, right. and you even talk about some domains that right. men have to have dominion over. Mm-hmm. Um, unpack that just for a second for us. Sure. Yeah. The, so the first chapter I start with uh, in the book uh, is the idea of dominion. So I go back to creation and talk about how uh, God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth and what does dominion mean? And what it means is something very different than what the word feels like. I, I always say when I teach this, anytime I talk about dominion, I feel like I'm looking over my shoulder to make sure no ladies are listening. It just sounds <laughs> bad. But dominion is working and keeping. The way I say it is this, is that everything in your life should be better because you're there. Your church should be better because you're there. Your home should be better because you're there. It should not be that people are glad when you're not there because things are worse when you're there. Everything's better when you're there and they're better because you're working and keeping. You're protecting, you're sweating, you're putting energy, uh, effort into making things better. So if 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 a wife understands that dominion means her husband is working hard in order to make the home the place it needs to be, she's gonna love that. And so that's what we mean. And I I found um, four primary areas of dominion uh, in the book of Titus. Uh, The first three are just the structure of Titus. So the first chapter is to the church, about men in the church. The second chapter is about men essentially in the home. It has a lot of men-women relationship. And then the third chapter is men in the workplace. And then I, you know, John Stott is the first one that kind of showed that to me in his little commentary on Titus, that those three are there. But the other one I point out is the constant emphasis in every chapter on the flesh Mm. and issues of self-control. So I take that and make that first and say the first area in which every man must take dominion is over his own flesh. And if a man doesn't have dominion over his flesh, he's not going to have any sense of confidence or authority uh, in the church or the home or the workplace. So one of the reasons, deep reasons, this is why a simple men's banquet is not going to, it's not going to do the trick. Yeah. A lot of the reason the guys are ineffective in so many areas of their life is because they're defeated morally. So if you're defeated in the flesh, you're not going to show up at church ready to serve. Like, so there's these foundational yeah. issues we've got to talk about. That's why the subtitle of the book is foundation. So we want to get to the root of the kind of man that God's trying to build and build it from the ground up. You know, we, I think we confuse this is, we do this in ministry all the time. We confuse root and fruit, you know, the idea that we want to fix the fruit of a man. For instance, we got to get more men serving. Well, that's great. And they're right. But the answer to that is not telling men to serve. The answer to that is to begin the process of building men. Yes. So that's what I'm interested in. That's good. Behavior, behavior modification. We've worked on that for decades, haven't we? Right. Now, let me me go practical real quick. Okay. Um, because we're, we're going to have some a lot of older Christian men who are going to listen to this uh, podcast or this Facebook upload, and they've never been mentored. Mm-hmm. So, so they haven't been discipled, but they just grew up in, in church life. How do you help those who've not been discipled understand the need to mentor others and, and how to disciple others, like the sure. starting point? Because yeah. I hear that a lot. It's like, God, you don't have to convince me of it. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things is the book of Titus actually has more for older men than it does for younger men. Uh, matter of fact, in chapter two, when it gives all this instruction, you have tons of stuff on instruction for at the beginning of chapter two for older men. Younger men only get one thing, be self-controlled, which is awesome because I think if you can get a young man to figure that one thing out, that he's going to be on the right path. So there's a ton of information for older men. So a lot of that I write in this book is really kind of calling older men. You know, I say one of the biggest disgraces on an older man is to try to act like a younger man. Uh, It's good to be an older man. 
right? Like th this is good. And even if you weren't discipled, hopefully there's experiences that you've had, things that you've learned, even from mistakes that are going to be helpful to a younger generation. So the way in which I first started teaching this was 10 men around a table. This is the reason I called it the Titus 10, 10 men for 10 weeks through the book of Titus, really creative, the Titus 10. And uh, so I got 10 men around the table. And one of my commitments was I had to have every generation represented. So I had some 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up. What I realized is this, here's a 30-year-old guy that's saying how he's struggling with something and balancing work and family. And there's an 80-year-old guy over there that dealt with that 30, 40 years ago. And if those two can just talk, there's going to be a lot of help that is there. I would say this, every man, older man who's walked with the Lord in any way has something to offer a younger generation. And we got to get them together. So the way I teach this now, I have about 150 guys going through it with me right now. We started our first week uh, last week. I'll do 11 weeks. I do around round tables of six. So I pick table leaders. They fill up their table. What I'm finding is our college students from University of Georgia mm -hmm. want to be at a table with older guys. They absolutely want to be at a table with other, other older men, older yes. men. They want older men at their table. And um, I think we have older men who think they don't have a place. So what I love about this, this Titus 10 allows you to give older men some place. And what I say to older guys is this, they'll say, I have nothing to offer. I'll say, sit at a table for 11 weeks with some younger guys. I promise you, you'll be surprised how much they want to know from you. Absolutely. All right. So let's chase a rabbit because you mentioned something here that churches, because you know, churches do struggle to get men to volunteer and to serve. And that's not a new struggle. I right. mean, that's been my whole life. Why does it seem like men are so hesitant to serve in leadership positions? Well, let me let me say this first. So I agree with you completely. It's hard to get men to serve. What I found very interesting in the last two years is it has not been difficult for me. And this may be, but I'm finding as guys are talking to me about the they're, they're using this book, it it's not been difficult to get guys to come and do this. Hmm. Like I think guys are longing for something solid and more. There was a generation of men. I've seen two generations of men stuff since I've been in ministry. The first was just cheesy. Everybody go out into the woods, kill an animal. The <laughs> second was what I feel like was real big probably 15 years ago, which was just make every man feel like an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. You can't even go home. You play video games. Da -da -da -da. Beat them up. Yeah. And I'm not sure that motivated anybody. I've seen those two generations. So I'm trying to go from a little bit of a different perspective and saying, like, I love you and I want to see you be a good man. And so let's work on this together. I am, I'm having the opposite problem. When we do these Titus 10 groups, I'm having to stop and say, okay, I need you to wait till the next semester to do this. So to answer your question, we do have a problem with men serving, but the answer is to start a little further back and say, okay, let's start to build some men. So you, you really can't pastor effectively, nor can you walk with the Lord effectively unless you take the long view. Yeah. Like you've got to say, what can I accomplish? Yeah. You have to take the, and with men, you have to take the long view. You have to say, I got to get our men serving. Our men are lazy. They don't do anything. Well, okay. But let's start building some men. So let me build 10 men at a time, whatever. Let me take 15 guys and let's start building them. Mm. And if I can get them to understand their role in the church and their significance and help them fight some moral battles, then what's going to happen is they're going to start serving because we've started from the beginning. So you're right, we have a problem, but I think we're trying to solve the problem the wrong way. 
That's that's good. So where does the small group or Sunday school for depending on where people are who are watching this, where does that piece fit into the the motivation to be there, the connection? Because like there's another word that I feel like we're talking around. We just hadn't said it. And it's value. Like when men have feel value in what we're offering or how they're involved, that makes a huge difference as well. So do you have any thoughts about where that small group Sunday school fits into this discussion? I do. And a lot of that depends on your context. So how you use those groups, the way we structure it from an overall perspective is we say we want to get them on a Sunday morning. We still live in Georgia, which means we can tend to get people to come to church. (laughs) I can invite them and they'll often come, which is not true everywhere. So if I can get them there, I try to get them in this Sunday school group where really the point of that is relationship building connection, usually couples connection or single or men connection. That's true. But you can spend you can be you can be deeply involved in Sunday morning and deeply involved in a Sunday school class for five years and be completely isolated. Hmm. You can do that and nobody ever ask you if you read your Bible, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're being nice to your wife, like nothing. So that's great, but we got to get them into something else. So the two things that we do, we try to get them into a Titus 10 group. We try to, and that's usually a little bigger. We try to get them around a round table with some guys and do like an intense 11 week. And then we're trying to get them into discipleship groups. I mean, I we kind of roughly modeled some of this after the Robbie, Robbie Gallaty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we, we kind of modified it quite a bit, but we're trying to get every guy in the context of three or four other guys where they're just reading their Bible and talking about it. That's, That's it. That's great. And so I just, I think, I feel like we've been satisfied. If we can get a guy on Sunday morning every week, and maybe he serves on the greeting or security team, and then we get him to Sunday school, we feel good. And I want to say to you, uh, and I can give you a lot of stories on this, a guy can be in all of those and have no clue about his relationship with Jesus. Oh, my gosh, 100%. Did I I just get two thumbs up? You did. I've never had that. That's amazing. Because I hear a lot about, okay, well, gosh, you know, I hear you talking about these D groups or these discipleship groups, and, man, our people don't have time to do Sunday school and being a D group, but, but the reality of what I'm hearing and seeing Josh, and even in the church where I was at for 16 years before coming to Georgia is when people take the step to be in the discipleship group and they're staying connected in that Sunday school class, life group, whatever is, it is a network of growing deeper and farther rather than just having to choose one or the other. So man, gosh, I love that. Now, you do make a, a fairly bold claim in the book that men cannot fulfill their God-given design for their lives without being involved in a local church. <laughs> now, I want you to unpack that for a moment because I think this really can be one of those watershed moments for a lot of our men who are looking to finish well. Well, I think one of the reasons this book is resonating with pastors, and that's the guys I'm hearing from a lot, and I will say I have kind of made a deal that any senior pastor that wants this book and thinks he'll use it, I'll send it to him for free if he'll email me. I sent out like 160 books for free uh, last month, so I just paid it for myself, But and I'd love to do that. I think pastors like this because I talk about that. Um, I'm not a hot takes guy. Like I hate when people put, here's my hot take on stuff. So I'm not a hot takes guy. I don't have anything (laughs) hot to say, you know, but I have discovered really from the book of Titus and the pastoral epistles, you have made, and I, I, I'm going to try to make this super quick. You have major family dysfunction in Crete that's there in the book of Titus. 
Uh, families are being torn apart, chapter one. Women are getting drunk, going house to house gossiping. The old men are a disgrace. The young men are unself-controlled. The young women have no idea what God's... So major family dysfunction. When Paul leaves Titus there, he says the first thing you need to do is get the church right, not the family right, get the church right. And the reason is because you have a bunch of first-generation believers. They don't have a clue how to live. And this is more yeah. of a reality with us. Most of us, listen, I, I had a large group of college students recently, and I was teaching on the church. And I said, how many of you, these are Christian college students, how many of you would say your parents' marriage has been a model for you? I would say out of, let's say out of 100 students, five raised their hand. So I don't know how to be married. They haven't seen an example. So this is our reality. And so Paul doesn't say, Titus, go fix the family. He says, fix the church, because it's in the context of the local church where men are learning how to be men, women have to learn how to be women, and they're learning how to be married. I mean, this is this is our whole uh, Paul's uh, understanding of how to be married from Ephesians 5. Like, look at the church. Look at Jesus in the church. So what we do is we have a bunch of guys who I think are trying to create healthy families without being involved in the church. What I would say is this. If you try to have a healthy family without being involved in a healthy church, you're not going to get either. Mm. But if you're committed to your healthy church, you're going to get a healthy family. You're going to get both. That's so I'm just, I am big on pushing guys to be all in when the local church. Yeah. That's a big that, part of this book. I think it's interesting, Josh, because that really is a, I don't know if I'd say reversal, but that is a unique take, I guess, on yeah. the concept of the church and the home and how they influence one another. So good. Now, just one last thought here, um, because I'm doing some writing right now in men's ministry in one of the uh, concepts that's really standing out to me that is true of our young boys that we're trying to raise to be men and, and our men in general is I feel like we've gone through a couple of generations where we've not taught well and not understood well the concept of delayed gratification, that we are living for the pleasure, not not necessarily living purposefully. Do you have any thoughts on, on our le- for our leaders who are just, you know, trying to think through some concepts, trying to help their men just on the concept of delayed gratification and how important that is. Well, again, let's go back to Titus chapter two. I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but you have like two verses. I'm not looking at like two verses or so about older men and then a bunch about younger men and older and then older women and younger women. And then you get to young men and tell the young men to be one thing. Yeah. Self-controlled. That's it. Wow. And I think what, what Paul is telling Titus there is if you, you can't tell the young men 10 things, right? They're not going to get 10 things. So just do one thing. And if you get the one thing, self-control, you're going you're gonna to build them a foundation for anything else. You know, I think there's this idea among young men that when they get married, some of their temptation is going to go away. Uh, when they get married, some of these things are going to be easier. And it's not true. We all know that's not true. Hmm. Uh, as, as adults, we're not helping young men be self-controlled. We're not saying you're not going to get all this right now. Let's control that desire. Let's control that that urge, not even just morally, just I don't need to buy all this right now. I don't need yeah. to get everything I wanted in the media, the, the moment I wanted. I I got to be limited on the amount of screen time I get. Like you've got to just do this stuff to kids because the most important thing you can teach a young man and fathers need to know this is controlling their urges, controlling their desires, yeah. their desire to do anything. But if a kid is just cannot stop playing video games, well, what a dad needs to do is control that, like help him to know I have this urge to go play right now, but I'm going to go outside instead. I'm going to control the self. So, yeah, we are doing our children a massive disservice, particularly our boys, but everyone, 
um, not teaching them how to control their urges and desires. It's the number one thing a young man needs. Yes. Hundred percent. My goodness. Now, listeners, I wanna I wanna leave you with a thought. I'm so grateful for Josh Shemp coming on today. Really, I could sit here for hours discussing this, but I want to leave you with a thought. A big moment occurred in my life as a young man when I think about men becoming a man, and I learned to move from that cultural Christian uh, living, as Taylor Swift would say, my own version of Christianity, to being a biblical Christ honoring disciple. Like that was a moment that I remember. And Bobby Morford was my youth pastor. And he, he taught me that success as a man was not about changing my behavior, which Josh just talked about, but it was shifting my allegiance and from, from me centered to Jesus centered. And Bobby said to me one day, he said, Scott, you only get one shot at this life. So make sure that you're choosing well. And Josh, I got to tell you, man, as I think about men in 2023, we are in, in my opinion, the greatest phase transition or cultural upheaval that I've ever seen, right, in my 51 years. And as men, as leaders, we have one shot to get this right in this moment. So I want to encourage you, leaders, seize the day. And if you're looking for a great resource, Dr. Smith's book, The Titus 10, is an excellent resource. And my new favorite men's ministry book that I've to, uh, plan to use and to give out. So Josh, hey man, thanks for being on with us today. Share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you if possible. And also uh, where can they purchase the Titus 10 book? Sure. Well, the book's available anywhere. As a matter of fact, um, the price on uh, Lifeway's website is about the same price I get as an author discount. So people keep contacting me to buy it. And I say, just go there, particularly if you're buying bulk. Yeah. Uh, I think they're like $10 each if you buy a bunch, which is a wow. great deal on Lifeway's website. So Amazon or Lifeway. Uh, I'm at Prince Avenue Baptist. So you can look that up uh, in mm-hmm. the Athens uh, Bogart area. If my email address that is pastor at pabc.org. So pastor at pabc.org. Um, I'm about to do a series of videos where I'm going to do a five minute video for every chapter of the book, teaching guys how to teach it. Cause it's the number one question I'm getting. I'm getting yep. a lot of guys, but if pastors want a copy of the book, email me, I'll try to send them one. Or if they have questions, let me know. I love talking about this. And my last advice is just pastors, particularly, um, think about the long haul. Like yes. don't try to get a hundred men in the room and make that your win. Look, look at when I, I was at my previous church, I spent, um, uh, years taking guys through this 10 at a time. By the time I left, there was 120 men I took through. I've been gone there five years. I looked at their website two weeks ago and every man on their staff, except for one went through the Titus 10 with me still. Um, So just take the long approach. Let's just start building some godly men slowly and uh, it'll bear a lot of fruit. Home run, home run. Friends, I hope you'll check this out. And I told Josh before we got on here that this is the best book that I have read since the Patrick Morley stuff was out and so big. I mean, that's what I've been telling people. And they, hey, man, what's a good book? I can take some people through, you know, How God Great Makes Men, Patrick Morley. This is that second wave. I mean, this is that one that I've read. I've absorbed it. I'm using it. And I would recommend it to you guys as well. Josh Smith, thanks for sharing today, for being faithful to your family and your calling, my friend. Thank you, Scott. Bless you, brother. Appreciate it. You bet. Landon Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. I don't want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you guys give to the cooperative program. So thank you for giving. And I'm going to pray that today's discussion with Dr. Josh Smith will equip you to think deeply, invest purposefully, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. 
These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.